guess who's back? Ira, take it away. Welcome to League One Fun, presented by the Beautiful Game Network and brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Golden Gold Press. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. I'm Ira Jersey. With me tonight, we're back to the starting lineup. Jason is here with me in the house. There was so many red card suspensions this week. I'm getting the call up from the bench. So, <laughs> so, so get, Jason, take a wild guess what I was doing right before I walked into uh, into my house and well, got ready for the podcast. Tonight. Well, listen, I got to say, for the people who aren't watching this live, you're missing out because Ira has the jersey of the most popular player in USL League One, which is who, Ira? <laughs> Uh, the referees. The referees. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah. popular, not for the right reasons, but we can get into that later. <laughs> well, maybe it's infamous more than popular. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, yeah, I was out. I was out coaching a uh, a friendly before this for uh, for one of the travel teams that uh, that one of my kids is on. Anyway, let's go to some news, if we will, Jason. If if you're good with that, uh, firstly. Firstly, yeah, a lot, lot of news this week. Maybe we'll start actually with an easy one. So Devin Jamga got player of the week for week 17, uh, in particular for his brace against Greenville. Uh, you know, FC Tucson's been a little bit of a run. We got a, you got two braces this week? Two, yep. Two braces. Okay, well, there you go. Well, one was for the brace against Greenville, and you know he's been a he's been a revelation. We uh, we've talked to him on this show before. Uh, certainly, seems like a player that would be really surprising if he didn't get called up by the senior team by Phoenix Rising, or you know found his way to another team in the off season. Jason, I, I you know it's it's he's really been on fire. Yeah, and he's a guy. One of the things that I look at at players who stand out are the players who don't have to rely on being set up, right? Yes, yes, you have strikers that rely on service, but he's one of those players that he sets himself up. If you give him any space outside of the box, and we'll talk about his goals later, but that first goal he had, he pretty much took on three different defenders, was able to give himself space and shoot that. And that's the kind of talent and skill that will take you to the next level. That's the kind of confidence that you need to be able to play into that next level. So he had an impressive game against Greenville and on the road, you know, Tucson now three, three games and uh, undefeated for their last three. So, you know, don't look out. Like I, I keep saying the end of the season, they have a lot of home games. They're going to be a team that are going to try to uh, sneak in and steal that four spot from somebody. And uh, so we actually have a question later on when we get to our listener questions about Devin Jamga, actually. So, okay. All right. So also the first OCB uh, has parted ways with their head coach, Fernando Jose de Ariga Aruda. Uh, he is is being replaced, at least temporarily, by the OCB Academy U19 coach, uh, Roberto Sibaja. Uh, is this a huge surprise? OCB's bottom of the table. They've lost a bunch, including at home. They lost four uh, one on Wednesday night. Is are we surprised about this, Jason? Yeah, I, I kinda. I, it's not a huge surprise, but it is something to where first season. Obviously, Orlando City B is at the bottom of the table. Have not been performing well. I don't think they've won a game in over a month and a half, close to two months now. And but the thing that surprises me is that it's not like they were. Really, like they look like the one team in this league that is all about developing their players, right? It's a constant rotation. No one's getting more than 30, you know, 60 minutes per game, it seems like, in that striker position. Uh, You've got 
players who go out there, score two goals, and then we don't see them for a whole month. So I am a little bit surprised at that because it's almost like they're using their form as an excuse. Uh, one thing that I've noticed is uh, I'm not sure uh, of their the the head executive guys, but he he it looks like he's trying to let his guys come in like he has his guys right. So when you look at the head coach of Orlando City MLS, and now you look at the academy coach coming in uh, to coach Orlando City B, I think that might have something to do with it. So I think it might be a little bit of political uh, stuff going on, but using that form as a reason to be able to execute that. You know, earlier in the season, they had been scoring a lot of goals. And I, I feel like when it was like when they were losing three to two and, and things like that, it was OK, we have a defensive problem, but at least we're developing players. We're getting the ball uh, in the net. But it does seem like at least the last month or so that you haven't had that. But a par- big part of that is that rotation of all the players. They don't have a cohesive starting even 14 or 15. Right. It winds and, up being like 20 different players. And I wonder whose decision that is. Right. Is it everyone in the club as far as the the head, the executive? saying hey we're here to get these kids experience you need to rotate as much as possible or is it the coach's fault because if that is the coach's you know decision and he's the one that's been doing it then yeah maybe that does merit the reason of a firing just because it's kind of stubborn to continuously do that all season when it has not worked and these kids aren't getting the minutes that they probably truly deserve it's also the only team that doesn't have what i would consider first team quality players that coming down at least getting a few minutes i mean when you look at when you look at tfc2 for example you um you know you you have players um that that have gone up to the first team i mean you know the the tfc just played the red bulls and you know two guys endo and um uh, remind me the attacking midfielder Schaffelberg again yeah, Schaffelberg played on the left um, yeah. you know those are those are guys who and they got, were great they were great they played really well against the Red Bulls uh, you know in a three to one one win but those were USL League One players um, for the first you know ten weeks of the season right and and those are MLS quality guys and I just feel like OCB doesn't have that whereas you know North Texas clearly does right when yeah. you have Brandon Cervania and you know Ricardo Pepe and all those guys I mean. Those are MLS quality players. And OCB just hasn't used it the same way. I, I think, and, and this is not a new problem. This was a problem they had when they were in USL Championship a couple of years ago. So this right. isn't this is nothing new for them. And I I, I agree with you, but I also think Tiago D'Souza, he deserves at least a trial. I think I don't know if he's ready for MLS, but he's close, right? He's in that in between a championship and MLS caliber. So that is the one kind of shining star from that team i think the risk that they're going to have because ocb is still fighting for a playoff spot i think maybe if they were solidly in a playoff spot he's the kind of guy who should get called up and get 20 minutes at the end of a game and just see how he how he trains with the first team for a while but but they can't do that because of the orlando city the first team orlando city first team yeah exactly yeah. You're like OCB fighting for a playoff. I was like, I don't oh, know. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. Playoff, so uh, used to saying OCB now. So used to saying OCB now. That would be fun. All right, uh, Sam uh, Stachegol put out an article last week while you were uh, were on your travels, Jason. He said that MLS two teams might be forced down into USL League One. Apparently, uh, USL wants to at least have some of the teams come down. Apparently, USL would be willing to have some teams stay in championship either because they have you know decent attendance, you know maybe like a, a Tacoma Defiance, but maybe they have poor on field performance, and then others who have poor on field performance and don't 
have um, a decent uh, attendance and atmosphere and don't have necessarily their own facilities. And they want some of them maybe to come down. But Major League Soccer apparently is saying, you know, we want all the MLS two teams to stay together, which is a little bit odd in, to begin with, given that at least three of them are already in USL League One with a forthcoming, uh, the, the rumor now is that uh, New England Revolution is going to have a USL League One team in the coming season. So, uh, you know, we did a show, I actually interviewed Sam Stagecoll earlier this week, so you can find that show in our feed on June 22nd. I would say it's a supplement show because Phil Grooms from the USL show also spoke to Sam about this uh, same topic on, uh, and that uh, interview uh, was dropped on June the 20th on Saturday. Jason, what's your thoughts about this? Is good, bad, and different? How do you think uh, yeah. USL should handle the two teams at this I'm, point? I'm indifferent because if this is the first step to pro rel, then it's just like, yeah, like, cause USL is the perfect setup for that. Um, I don't know how I feel though. It, there's, there's too much of a gap between these MLS two teams, right? Like Red Bulls, Portland, those guys come down the USL and this just becomes a league of North Texas, Tormenta, you know, maybe one of the independent teams like Lansing or somebody Chattanooga sneaks in there. And then uh, New York Red Bulls to, to and Portland too, you know, it's just a, it's almost like the premier league where it's just like four teams, you know, are going to be better than the rest. Um, and I don't think that the owners would have bought into USL League One, especially for the independent teams, had they have known it's just going to try to become the MLS Reserve League again, right? Like I don't, I don't think that's very smart from an investment standpoint, unless there's pro rail, because at that point it's just how do you stand out, right? It's you are trying to get players using the open market, and how do you convince those players, hey, come play against a bunch of sixteen-year-olds, right? And I think that's what I liked about this league that there were a mix of championship players coming down, older players. And I like how you can get academy players playing against players with experience, being coached by players with experience, right? And like having an idea of, okay, I'm not just playing teenagers all the time. This doesn't feel like a travel team for me. This feels like an actual professional team. Whereas if you're just going to bring all the academy teams down, then it just feels like they're trying to recreate their MLS reserve league. And I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not with it. Unless, like I said, this is the first step in the pro rail and two years from now or, you know, they go, okay, cool. We've got 25 teams now in USL League One. We're going to do pro rail for USL championship and see how it works out. Yeah, I think that that's probably where they do. I mean, Jake Edwards has mentioned before that, you know, we have to have the right structure in order to have pro rail at some point in the future. So clearly there's there's kind of a, a potential end game for, for pro rail. And I don't think pro rail is a panacea by any stretch of the imagination. But that being said, I think that the, the risk is here is that if you have more t- MLS2 teams than you have independent teams, it might be a challenging to convince more owners to bring to, to bring uh, teams to new cities, right? So I think that's the risk. So, so I, I, I'm okay with more two teams coming down because clearly there are some that probably should be competing in, in League One. But I think that, that there should be a, a – personally, I would encourage the USL to say, look, we don't want more than 50% of our teams to be MLS2 teams in any one league, right? Yeah. That, uh, unless you have pro rel and it just happens to be that way. Do, do it by case by case, right? So, like, do it by the teams where 80% of the rosters are teenagers and they don't really try to put the team as an independent team the way that Tacoma Defiance does and, you know, those guys and – or um, 
uh, who's the affiliate of San Jose? Reno, right? Reno. It, yeah, Reno. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so those guys, they try to have independent. They are one sharing between, you know, the first team and championship. So it's just those guys should stay. Whereas, you know, the other guys who are playing mostly teenagers, Atlanta United too, you know, they can come down. Um, but I think it would be on a case by case. Cause like I said, my biggest fear is you bring all those teams down. It's going to be hard for a to get new owners and B I think a lot of the independent owners that are in this league now are going to go, well, wait a second, what are we doing here? I'm, I'm spending money on guys who I think can go professional on MLS. And here you are bringing a bunch of 16 year olds and making this look like a reserve league. So. Right. Yeah. That, that, that's a risk that they'll have to deal with. Well, apparently they're talking about that next week. So maybe, uh, m- maybe Sam or uh, some of the other reporters who are down at uh, and that might have preview to some of those league meetings will give us more information in a week's time or so. Finally, uh, some last thing that we want to talk about is coach Nate Miller of Lansing Ignite was given a fine and suspended for three, count them, uno, dos, tres matches for uh, berating people wearing the jersey that I am at the moment. Uh, By the way, uh, on YouTube, you got a a nice uh, comment for your Hummels jersey, by the way, thank uh, you that that you're wearing. Um, three games, little excessive, not so uh, much a, yeah, a the little, laying down a marker. I, I, so this is, this is my theory. First and foremost. Yeah. It's, it's too much. I like three. I, I, when, when it happened, I was like, cool, he'll get a fine, maybe one game. Right. And that's what you see with usual coaches. I think that's what Mike Pecky got when his famous rant about the printer, you know, and the not working and all that. Yeah. But it's 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 not like he cursed it's not like he you know he just said here's my take though i think the league is trying to send an example and i think lansing is that team because of everything that has transpired with lansing throughout this year right you had a player that said a homophobic slur you've had a player who literally just punched someone in the face uh, for a reason that we still don't know uh, and got a red card. We've had, I think it was their assistant coach get suspended for two games because he went off on the ref. And I think it's like, look, we have to set an example, not just on the team, but the whole league. You guys cannot consistently keep doing this, right? Like, it's not like this was a random thing that happened with Lansing and it's never happened before. They're habitual red card steppers, right? So I think this is the league and the refs just saying, look, this is us putting our foot down. We're not playing these games. Um, and it's not just for them. We'll talk about the Richmond Orlando game, but I've never seen three red cards given out when there is really no kind of physical, like hand the face or anything like that. And so I think this is just a league saying, Hey, like it's our first year. We need to set the standards. A lot of these players are kids. So we're not going to tolerate any kind of physical verbal abuse. Yeah, we'll talk about the the red cards a little later. I, I think what is interesting about them, those red cards, is that they were all given, at least on the um, on the match report, as violent conduct, and they were each only given a one game suspension. Which yep. usually for violent conduct, you get multiple game suspensions, not not a single and, game. But it's all verbal. I don't like that. No one touched each other. It was just even like oh, Akira, there, was, there was a little bit. Yeah, um, Akira Fitzgerald was behind his own players. I don't even think he touched anyone from earlier. Yeah, it was it, well. He we we can talk about it. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Let's talk about that a little later. Yeah, I definitely think this is a a league like putting your foot down, send an example move. Like, I don't think, 
I, I think had it been another coach and another team, maybe it wouldn't have been three games. Maybe it only been one, right? Maybe it would have been two. But I think because Lansing has habitually done this, uh, this is where it's just like, hey, this ends now. And this is an example for the rest of the league. We're not playing games. Don't curse at us. Don't say anything slick because your ass will get suspended. Uh, so referees still a, a big issue. I can say as a referee, it is a difficult position to be in. Um, I do think that at some point though, they, they, I, I wish that pro and everyone else was a little bit more open about how they evaluate referees about how, you know, how the whole thing is. I mean, they, they do some neat stuff in pro where they, they talk about video review all the time and they review, you know, these different video review calls for major league soccer. Um, you can go on their website, just go to prorefereescom and you can see all those. But I wish that they gave us more information, more insight into, you know, kind of what the, not exactly the evaluations of the referees, but, but, you know, what goes into that, right? So, so just like, I know they did a day in a life of an MLS referee a couple of years ago, but it would be good if they did that at almost every level and, you know, just, just give us more information basically about it. We'd be less apt to, I think, to complain if we just had more information. Yep. Transparency. Cause we just don't, we have no idea what's going on. Like we, if, if you were to sit here to explain, this is what happened the coach said some terrible things, you know, that were curse words or, you know, verbal threats, then we get it. Right. But unless you do that and have that transparency, then we're all just kind of sitting here saying to ourselves, you know, what's going on. Right. All right. Shall we move on to some games, Jason? Yeah, let's do it. So last Friday night at four or afternoon, again, I have to always say, 4 p.m. game up in Toronto. 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 (laughs) TFC2 played Lansing Ignite. It ended with, in a 3-3 draw, you had goals starting in the 35th minute by Jordan Peruza from Mr. Petrasso. Petrasso had, like, no pressure on him on the left side of the box when when he got the ball. So the way I look at this is, yeah, I don't know if Reese let him go, um, but Petrasso had no one on him, and then – when you look at the pass into it, Fricky, I think, goes for the ball and misses. And then that's yeah. why Perusa is just wide open. I think like he was the one that was supposed to be marking Perusa. And I think it was a little discombobulated because Reese had let his man go and everyone's kind of shifting and trying to play catch up. But I think he made a decision to go for the ball and missed it. And I think, I think, yeah, it was like I, I watched him turn around, look at Perusa, says, okay, this is my man, the mark. And then you can see him leave. Perusa, and I think he either thought that the cross was closer to, closer to him than it appeared, or he just uh, didn't get there in time. But yeah, I kind of kind of think that one might have been off Ricky. Yeah, and th- there was obviously a little bit of breakdown in, in the balance and and cover for on Lansing's defense. And Lansing, you know, usually has a pretty um, a. a yeah, pretty good defense, quite frankly. Um, at least they're they're physical and they're good at marking their men. You know, it's not that they don't get beat for pace, but you know, th- there was nothing here where someone was beat for pace right. at all, um, for for sure. Uh, second goal was just a couple of minutes later. It was a penalty kick. Uh, Nafor was taken down by uh, uh, by Romeo in the box on a, a slide tackle. I mean. I, you know, I don't know. It's one of those that if you see it in real time and you're a referee, you probably call it. But, um, but it, w- it was a little bit marginal. Yeah, um, 
He got yeah. the ball, but it's also it was a dangerous. You're, you're a ref, right? So yeah, that's what I was saying. So even though just because you got the ball doesn't necessarily mean it, no matter what, it's not a foul. Yeah, it's this isn't dangerous. the 19. This isn't the 1980s anymore. Yeah, <laughs> that's just the fact that you get the ball does not negate the fact that that you get a foul. Now, if you beat the player to the ball, that's different. But if you, <laughs> you know, if you're tackling him, uh, so anyway, so so I think. Uh, uh, so I think Pato just he saw Fillion moving uh, and just went the other way. It was yeah. it was that simple. It was a good finish. Uh, but Brandon Furkey makes up for his mistake earlier in the 51st right. minute. He uh, uh, there was a very weak clearance by Waja on a set piece, and it was headed right back into uh, into the mixer by Lansing. It bounces all around. Fillion goes down, but can't quite collect it. And you know Brandon Furkey just takes advantage, oh, advantage yeah. and knocks it home. And uh, yeah, Okello hits it. Uh, he heads it away, but it goes straight. Uh, to Lansing, and I think it's uh, N4 who heads it back in. And, yeah. Uh, well, props to N4 because he calls that first goal too. He was the one that drew the PK, uh, so he's the one that's responsible for the first two goals. And I, he is, and he uh, calls the set piece for that to even happen for that second goal. So, um, yeah. But it was funny because this whole game I just chalked up to teams ball watching. Uh, and this one was Toronto just ball watching. I think that they were just like in disbelief that there were literally two players right in front of the goal <laughs> that were on side. Nobody really made any move. And um, yeah, I, I think um, this, this uh, is an example of what Toronto needs to work on. Cause this is the, not the first time this has happened. You know, when they get scored on a lot of times, it is with their defense ball watching. So that's definitely something to look for moving forward well, and Lansing's third goal, which just happened a couple of minutes later was exactly the same thing, right? So the, there's a, there's a quick, a quick restart off of a set piece uh, after a foul and uh, you know, moon's moon ends up on the left side of the box and he just quickly flicks it, uh, flicks it across in between two defenders for Gomez to run onto who shoots from about eight yards out bottom left. I mean, it was, yeah. and, and it really was just that they weren't ready for it. Right. So quick yeah. restarts can work in almost every situation, but I think in a team at, on the day, you know, Young, younger players in general, less experienced guys in TFC's back line just need to, you know, basically just need to be clicked on all the time and can't can never shut off. And I think when you go look at that, I think uh, a lot of the credit goes to Nick Moon just being such a dangerous player on the side that calls a double team. And then it kind of messes up the rotation of defense for Toronto, right? So I think Okello thought he was supposed to pick up Gomez, but he doesn't because Carr's in the area. And then uh, Ovale, uh, is it? Ovale? I'm sure uh, the Canadian dude will correct me. But him and Dorsey follow Nick Moon. And so assuming that Okello is going to pick up Gomez, not seeing that Carr is also in the area. So Gomez is wide open around that PK spot. And yeah, credit to Nick Moon for just being a threatening player and causing that double yeah. team. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, I, I do think, you know, this is something that happened throughout the game is that you always had one player, at least man marking Moon or trying to, right? So um, clearly he was seen as the danger piece for Lansing on the night by TFC. So, yeah, you know, I think tactically TFC was trying to do the right thing at, at the time. Um, it just that it kind of didn't work out because and defensively their cover and balance, like you said, was messed up because if you had a second player step toward Moon, then all of a sudden you have someone wide open, and in this case it was Gomez. Um, but, uh, you know, a couple of uh, – 22 minutes later, 24 minutes later, if I could do the math right, uh, Bunk Anderson gets a uh, gets a goal from Serbly. It was another great – These are all – who, who, who? Guess how. Guess how it happened. Oh, on a set piece? 
uh, ball watching. Oh, right. Because yeah, Lansing <laughs> had contested nobody, uh, and Bunk was right next to somebody else who was not being contested. So yeah, more ball watching going on. So so of this, by the way, of the six goals in this game, five came off of set pieces. Only one, only one came from the run of play. I mean, you could argue, I guess, that the quick restart was kind of from the run of play, but it was still it was started definitively because mm-hmm. of that that little quick restart on the set piece. Because in the 81st minute, just three minutes after Bunk Anderson uh, scores, uh, uh, Romeo ends up getting the uh, the the game tying goal in the 81st minute. A corner comes in, Akello heads it down. Cleveland made the save, but just couldn't keep it under control. And you know, as our resident goalie, Jason you know, Cleveland has to hold on to that ball, right? Second like, week in a row that Cleveland has dropped the ball out of his hands. And uh, yeah, it's so, it's so unbelievable to think that the best goalkeeper in the league, arguably by some people, me not being one of those people uh, <laughs> would do such a thing. Well, I, you know, he was, he, he didn't do this for the first like three months of the season. I don't, I, I don't know why all of a sudden it, it's happened. I mean, maybe y'all jinx them. Y'all 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 the best keeper in the league and look what happens. <laughs> maybe. Um, so, uh, you, you know, I, it was, a, it was probably a deservedly, you know, uh, tie, tie game in the end. I mean, TFC did have other chances as well. I mean, both teams had, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of chances created. It was a very entertaining game. You know, I don't know how many people were there. It didn't sound like there were a lot of school kids. Yeah, I didn't there. hear like the kids. Yeah. That's, you know, that's that's what was the most disappointing thing about this game. <laughs> I didn't hear the kids. There might have been a K-pop concert in town or something. <laughs> very, very disappointed. Yeah, exactly. So so in the end, I mean, disappointing, obviously, for Lansing to be up 3-1 and to only come away with a point. But, I, I don't, you know, road point in this league is not the worst thing in the world. Right, really. especially in Toronto. Um, but I but I will say I, I, I think Lansing, yeah, like you said, you can take the point and be happy, but I'd be kicking myself because they were without Celso, Mushibane, and Rafa. So probably their three most offensively gifted players when it comes to chances created. And to be up 3-1 without them on the road in Toronto and give up those two goals late, that's, that's – kills you yeah uh, so you know maybe something that they'll be working on in, in training will be uh will be how to close out games and, and just being a little bit more defensively sound late in the game because uh, uh, i always gotta give a prop to uh, a player that might not get the props jordan faria coming off the bench for toronto last 10 minutes of the game five crosses two chances created a shot on target connected on all five of his passes and won three of the four duels. So that was important because Lansing didn't really have an opportunity to try to come back and win it late when Jordan Faria is coming and bringing all this offensive flair and then winning all of his duels in the midfield to keep it moving. So props to him. He made the most out of this 10 minutes and uh, definitely stood out to me. Uh, so I noticed that that as well. I, uh, you know, I don't has it was, this was not his first match. I don't think, but um but if not, it's like I wonder. I wonder if he's going to get a lot more minutes going forward. Yeah, I mean, at least thirty now, right? Give him the uh, the Bermudez treatment, so. <laughs> <laughs> right? Super sub. Uh, but and then we go on to Saturday. So our first game on Saturday was Greenville Triumph one and versus FC Tucson, who scored three. Uh, Greenville started off the scoring in the fifteenth minute. Uh, that Greenville was was you know pressed. For basically the first twenty or twenty-five minutes of this match, mm-hmm. basically until after uh, after the first Tucson goal, 
which was in the 20th minute. So I guess the first 20 minutes. And uh, this all came from the press. So Gomez, it was all him. He pressed the ball. There was a uh, basically stripling. Um, uh, Stripling received the ball from a uh, fr- from a back pass and wound up taking a little bit of a heavy touch. I don't know if he didn't know that Gomez was there or if Gomez just reacted just a little bit quicker than than uh, Stripling thought. But uh, but basically he takes the takes the ball facing the far touch line and Gomez takes the ball away from him and outruns everyone else and slots it away. I mean it was a it was a clinical finish after a very nice uh, move pressing and. I, I do think he knew that Gomez was coming. I don't think he expected his touch to be that bad, but I'm not going to put this all on Stripling because if you look at it, Vega, oh, it's bad, it was the bad back. Looks at Gomez running full speed and was like, all right, I'm going to pass it back to you. You deal with this. <laughs> and, and yeah. And so obviously all it's going to take is one bad touch and it's going to be a goal because of the, how fast Gomez is going. So like you said, as soon as he got the ball, nobody from a standing still spot is going to be able to catch up to him. And it was a great finish for a team that needs more finishes like that and needed more like that, that they had the opportunities later on. But yeah, we'll I mean, yeah, I mean, green, green, Greenville still has that same problem of, uh, of basically clinical finishing, right? Yeah. Like, you know, so, so, I mean, just before we get to the other goals and to, to Tucson's goals, look, they outshot, uh, they outshot Tucson 15 to six. They had seven shots on target compared to Tucson's three. Um, of course, they crossed the ball in 29 times, right? Because Greenville crosses the ball in, right? That's what they do. Um, you know, lo- looking for someone in the middle. Yeah. Um, but they, you know, they, they had a lot of the ball, which, you know, doesn't mean anything, right? Possession's a useless, uh, is a, what, what do you call it? Trash that. It's yeah. a trash that. They had, uh, <laughs> 60, they had 66%. And I listened to the last episode and I see you trying to stick up for possession, but it, it, it's a trash that. Even if you're a team that's like, oh, well, some teams are more possession teams. It's just like, yeah, well, what's the point if you're not scoring? It's trash that. I'm not right. listening. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think in this case, though, the, this is this is a game when no, their possession I, worked. I they agree. just couldn't I finish. On this right? one. And, and, like, if this game was 3-3, we would have said it was a great game. Yep. Right? And, and, and I think this kind of plays into Tucson, though. I think this is what they want. They And we'll talk about their goals, but it's just like – they have like when they score their goals, they're they're beautiful. I think like Tucson has probably the be- most beautiful goals of all the teams in the league because of their buildup and because of how fast they get down the field and because of where they shoot it. They're not even shooting it from oh, yeah. in the box. They're as soon as they get space outside of the box, they're letting it rip and it's going in. Yeah. Um, I, I would say that that Tucson in a way is kind of like the Leicester City of a few years ago. You know, they're, I like that. I like you that. know, I mean, they're a counterattacking team. They don't pretend that they're not right. They have they have the speed and the talent on the team to do it right. Devin Jamga, um, you know, being able to find the channels all the time. You know, the way the way that teams have closed down Jamga, which um, you know, last week you had. Uh, I'm trying to remember who they played. Lansing, right? Oh, they played Lansing. Yeah. So when they had Lansing, it was almost like, you know, Koifik was basically said, look, you're covering Jamga. You're not going to let him get the ball. And when you, and he basically followed him around and Jamga was never able to get in behind and he was basically cut down and Tucson found it difficult to score. You know, so I think that's, that's the kind of the formula that some teams need to consider when Mm -hmm. they're going up against Tucson. Um, Not, not that he's their only threat, but he on the counterattack, he's probably fastest you, guy you, in see that, you see that in his second goal of this game which we'll talk about in a second yeah. but like it was all him 
just outrunning everyone. He caught Cole Siler high, and it was just you can forget about it. There was no one that was going to keep up with him. Yeah, I mean, quite frankly, even the even the, his first goal. So in the twentieth minute, so the, so the scoring continued with the first Tucson goal, which was in the twentieth minute. Uh, Jones crossed the ball all the way to Jamga, who was at about midfield. Uh, he goes, uh, he's really wide as Cole Siler is is forward. Like like you look where Cole Siler was compared to Devin Jamga. Like if Cole Siler, I, I mean, there was acres of space. <laughs> it was the entire wait, wait till we, wait till we talk about that field. last goal because so, yeah. So yeah. So anyway, so so Devin, he's not one on one, right? He's actually one v two. Right. So at one point he, and it, but he winds up taking space about 25 yards out. He cuts inside. He's still one V two, but he's able to take like a little extra touch. Um, and, uh, you know, very, uh, get, gets right into the D and he actually shoots from the D. So to your point that they shoot from far out, like Devin Jamga shot from inside the D. So, um, he, he just wasn't there. Now in fairness, he was able to, um, I, I don't remember who the defender was, but one of the center backs basically fell, right? Because Jamga, he thought Jamga was going to cut it back to the, mm-hmm. to the left, but Jamga actually went a second touch to the right. Um, you know, caught the, caught the defender flat footed and, um, you know, that's it. One, one to one all of a sudden. Yeah. And, uh, he, it's, it's one of those things to where, it's in an instant, right, with Tucson. So you think you have a long ball to one person, and it's like, oh, okay, well, they're 1v1, they're 1v2, we should be okay. They're going to wait for the trailing person, and they don't. They just go straight towards the box, attack you, and if you give them any space, they're like, all right, I'm going to take this, and they're skillful enough. Him and Mega, they're going to bag it, you know, seven out of ten times. Well, I think that's the thing with Tucson is that when they when – they- attack and make those kind of counterattacks on the big switches they only expect to be like you know one you know two v two they don't i don't think they expect it to be you know hey we're going to hold it up and we're going to wait for other people to come in the attack we're just going to go to goal if we don't get it we'll get back in our defensive shape we'll absorb that pressure and then try to do it again and they've only got two people up so they don't even have to worry about getting back which was a problem for greenville because when they got high they had no. They had problems getting back, and that's what you don't want to do against Tucson because they're going to beat you in that foot race. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the third goal came, did come off a set piece. This one came off a set piece where. Uh, so again, uh, the uh, defender stayed forward after uh, after this uh, set piece from the right hand side. The ball gets uh, crossed into the box. It deflects and happens to fall to cut. Kyle Ventner, um, who, uh, if you remember, if you want to talk about Jamga and Ventner, uh, look back in our feed at our uh, FC Tucson interviews, and you can uh, hear hear about from both of them. Keep but again, telling y'all, Kyle, one of the best shooting defenders in the league. Oh, Put him up I, top, baby. By far. <laughs> I mean, he scored. And so I think he might have, I think in terms of, I think he's had, now has uh, three, right? He has had a left-footed volley. Yeah. This was a right-footed, you know, finish from the floor. And then he's had a header, right? So uh, so the ball deflects. It falls to Ventner. He stops it exactly like I teach my U9 girls to, right? So he like steps on the ball with his left foot and then <laughs> finishes with his right. He had so much time. Like who was covering him? Yeah. Um, you know, everyone, I think, tried to step up, but instead of stepping up they step to the they step to the left like everyone from greenville stepped to the left leaving kyle ventner wide open on the far side of the penalty area um so yeah. i don't know you have anything else about this goal or do you want to go to the goal that i know you wanted to talk about yeah let's let's go to that uh, okay so why don't you describe this one so this was in the 58th minute uh it was uh devin jamga scores uh jordan jones got the assist but how did that happen jason okay so there's an interception from right and he gets the ball so bermudez passes it um, Greenville's pretty high up, right? Because at this point, 
Tucson's up. They're inviting Greenville to try to come up. They're going to play defense. Wright steals the ball, and he passes it to Vega, who's directly at midfield with his back turned to goal, right? So think about it as a center with his back to the basket. He then passes it right back to Stripling, who sends it downfield to Jones. And Jones is 1v1. He goes down, and he crosses the ball on the ground, a regular speed, easy cross, and John goes wide open. And I know people watching it are like, how in the world is the fastest player on the field at that time that wide open? And I want y'all to go back if you're a nerd like me and like going back and watch goals. Watch when Wright steals the ball. When Wright steals the ball, Jangwa immediately puts his head down and starts sprinting. And I'm talking about as soon as he steals the ball, right? So while everyone's watching to see where Wright is going with that first pass, Jangwa is already pretty much at half field or past midfield when Vega gets the ball, which is the second pass, who passes it to Stripling, who's the third pass, who passes it to Jones, who then passes it to Jangwa. And because Jangwa does this, Cole Seiler, who was already that far up, and he was the one marking Jamba, is probably a eight-yard uh, – Jamba has an eight-yard head start on him, and there's just absolutely no way you're going to catch up. And I don't even know if Seiler made the run, to be honest with you. I just Because even after Jamba scored and the camera kind of pans out, I still don't see anyone on that side of the field around him. So I think he just knew, like, oh, yeah, this is done. There's nothing I could do yeah. about this. So, so our, our friend Chris from Yeah, That Soccer Show was was there and watching this. I think it would even happen on his side of the pitch when he where his uh, season tickets are. And he basically said that he thinks that Jamga is the fastest player in the league. And I you know, I've, I have nothing to, to exactly compare it to, but he certainly was on the fastest person yeah. on the pitch that I, I, I genuinely don't. I genuinely think that, like, Siler said, nah, forget it. Like, yeah, once he saw that Jamba was in full speed with an eight-yard head start, I don't think he – I don't think he was like, hey, it's and it was what in the seventy something minute. So it was, it was uh, no, no, it was earlier than that. Yeah, it was like oh, the sixtieth minute. Yeah, fifty fifty eighth well, minute actually. That still, you know, in the second half time after sixty minutes of playing in the heat, I think he just said, yeah, man, forget this. I'm not even. <laughs> I don't get. Yeah, so so this was clearly the Devin Jamga show, but uh, but Greenville had its chances. I mean, there was a lot of things to be happy with. Like Muhammad had a chance, Gomez had a good chance, Jake Keegan had two good chances, including a uh, an attempted bicycle kick or scissor kick. I, I don't uh, you know I don't know what you want to call it, but but it was a pretty acrobatic effort. Just just went a little bit wide. Um, they had quality chances for sure, and and some of them on net. I mean, they, they made the keeper work too. So it wasn't it wasn't that none of them were on net. Twenty ninth minute. There's a deflection in the box or Greenville has a wide open shot. You have Max Henning, right? Who has a defender out of goal and Kyle Bettner is the only one in the goal as a defender. Hemmings is maybe six yards in front of goal. If that, and all he has to do is put it anywhere to where Bettner can't use his foot. And he puts it right in the middle on the ground of Nicole and Bettner just kind of stretches it out. And it was like, Oh, okay, thanks. So that's what, that's what you need the finishing for. You can't have players that can't just finish from six yards out when the goal opened like that. So next week we will have a, uh, an episode out with a couple of interviews, including with coach John Harks, who confirmed that they are considering bringing in some help before the, uh, before the, roster freeze date which is september 6th so only a little bit more than a month away at this point so if they do you know uh, you know personally and and we'll talk a little bit more about this because the question is about jamga but it's actually in relation to tucson Uh, um 
you know, they, they, they might bring in some help and basically bring in maybe, you know, someone who's a better finisher. You know, we've talked about this in the show. Like, we like Jake Keegan. We like a lot of things he, he does. We like a lot of his movement. He gets into good positions, but he's not as clinical as someone that they need, right? So he almost needs a strike partner out there. And if they can find that kind of person or get on, get a loan for the rest of the season or something, you know, that would be ideal for them, quite frankly. Yep. It's so, uh, it's, uh, I think, uh, Tucson might have a player that can help them who's not getting that much playing time. Uh, so maybe Coach Hart should uh, look into that. Somebody not by the name of Delgado or something. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> All right, moving on. You know, what's interesting, North Texas and South Georgia Tormenta played to a nil-nil draw. Weathering the yep. storm. Yeah. <laughs> Get it? Because Tormenta, the bird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. The category five is their supporters. Get it. I get it. I have a strangely uh, copious amounts of show notes on, on this particular <laughs> game, given it was no no. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was definitely, you know, South Georgia, Tormenta, definitely. I, I even said weathered the storm. I even have written here. Tormenta weathered an early storm by North Texas. Well, now I don't feel special. Thanks, Ira. Yeah, sorry. I, I wrote it. Yeah, I, you you read the show notes, and that, that's where you got it from. Um, this was as exciting of, quite frankly, of a nil-nil, you know, top-of-the-table contest as it could have been, in, yeah. in my view. And, you know, I mean, Coleman and Pepe both should have scored in the first couple of minutes, um, Pepe especially. And then, you know, he's wide open at the PK uh, spot, hits the bar on the rebound. <laughs> On the rebound, Tessman puts it onto the crossbar, like in the same in the uh, you know it's one of these things where you know I, I I think they thought that they were jinxed on the night after that, right? Like because yeah. then Pepe steps up and misses a PK. <laughs> well, <laughs> later so on for, for that though, I want to give props to Hara, and I don't know I I think it, I don't know how you don't make team of the week after his performance because the first five minutes Arturo Rodriguez has his beautiful ball, I believe, to Coleman. And um, I, I can't remember if it was Coleman or Pepe. And Harrit has an amazing save. And I think that's in the sixth minute. That was Coleman, that, yeah. Yeah, so if that ball goes in, that's game over, right? Like, that's a whole different right. game. Tormenta went in there knowing we're playing defensive. They weren't really trying to even go on the attack. So for him to come up with that huge save and then in the 76 minute have a PK save on the league's probably most clinical striker. Oh, he didn't I, save it. Pe- Pepe missed the missed the. Oh, net. I thought he, I no, thought he no. saved it off no. into the post. No, oh. no, Pepe missed the net. Yeah. So no, it's so interestingly, you know, I would say Tormenta did a good job in limiting chances after that first like 15 minutes, because besides the couple of posts and and that save. He only had one more save. There were only two saves in this game for um, uh, for South Georgia Tormenta because there were only two shots on goal by um, you know you know by by North Texas. So uh, you know, meanwhile, you know, South Georgia had almost no chances. They had only yeah. two shots yeah, total, two shots on the whole two game, and zero on target. So um, so they had you know basically basically nothing. They had and when you when you think about this, how how busy this Tormenta defense was. 28 tackles, 29 clearances on the day. Yeah. I mean, they, they were just, you know, absorbing pressure and pressure. But, uh, you know, this was a, you know, South Georgia got really lucky to get this point, um, you know, just given how, how few chances that they had and how much they had to do. So Joss Phelps and St. Ville, 
they were at their best. I mean, even though Saintville ultimately gave up the PK, like he, he's the one who made the made the tackle that that led to the PK. Yeah. He, he still had nine tackles, six clearances. Phelps had three tackles and nine clearances. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, Dalton Nutson also had nine clearances. I mean, these guys were, were busy and they were able to track all the defenders. And I don't know if that was the game plan going in. Like, I feel like it maybe wasn't, but they were forced to do it. And, and they, they did an admirable job. And put down a man for, for the, yeah, the end of the game, right? Minutes. Yep. So just as a, uh, so just so you know that there was a red card in the 74th minute. So Neil uh, Vignoles had a studs up tackle on Bonilla at about midfield. It was a completely needless tackle. I mean, Bonilla was at midfield, not headed toward goal. There was plenty, there was cover, uh, but, you and know, but. Knew. He got up and yeah, he said, "I'm really sorry." Like he, I think yeah. he was hoping that maybe I'd get a yellow because I know. Yeah, exactly. And say, you know, are you okay? I didn't really mean that. Like, I, and he probably didn't. I mean, it was just a just a boneheaded thing to do, but it was definitely a red given okay. given what it was. I'm pretty sure the fourth official gave that, by the way, or the AR. He actually told the referee that well, he was. You know, I think he was right there, wasn't he? So like that. I, I the think four, the, it happened right in front of the fourth official. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think he was just like, yeah, no, I can't not see that. <laughs> I can't unsee what I've seen. Right. So yeah, nor you know what was how, how big of a draw is this for South Georgia? Do you think? I'm so glad you brought this up, and this isn't even wasn't in our show notes or anything. This is this I think was one of the most important wins, if not the most important draws for tormented this season because going into this game we were questioning what was going on with them defensively they had lost two uh people were like hey is is the whole bunkering and and countering you know figured out are the defenders getting tired so to go to north texas and have a draw and then get rewarded by playing orlando a week later and uh we'll talk about either later or next week but when they played orlando immediately scored and got into their groove and went on the attacking style um, I think it was perfect for them to get that get that confidence up. Remember what they you know that they do have the best defense in the league, right? Like statistically and on the field, it's the best defense in the league, and I think they needed a reminder of that. And so when you go into North Texas and you don't allow them to score any goals, I think that's the the best confidence booster you can get, and I think that's the most important draw that they'll have for if not the whole season for a while. Well, I, I can say, you know, going into this, the narrative was, you know, the a North Texas team that knows how to score versus a South Georgia team that, you know, doesn't get get scored against except for the last two weeks, right? And so I think you're 100% right about that. Moving on, we had uh, another game that, man, there's a lot of big, a lot of narratives this week. and, and More uh, red cards than goals. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, two more red cards than goals in this particular match. But this one ended the Richmond Kickers 1 versus OCB 0. Um, so firstly, there was a, a goal that was disallowed in the 15th minute that uh, that Dennis Chin uh, off a corner. It, uh, Chin was able to finish it, but he was offside. Not only was he offside, he was not behind the second to last defender. He was behind all of the defenders. <laughs> He's pretty much in goal. <laughs> so, so here's the thing, though. Ironically, had he had that ball not been touched by anyone else on the kickers before it got to Chin, he would not have been offside because there is no offside 
on any time the ball comes in from out of play, throw in goal kick or corner. Um, but it did, and it hit actually a couple of players and uh, and ended up at his feet. So he needed to just take a step back. Um, but in the 70th minute, he uh, he did get a goal. So this was, again, after another corner. Uh, all the defenders were for Richmond kickers were pressed up into the box. Uh, after the corner, the ball kind of got half cleared, recycled, and I, I was trying to figure out, and and I was trying to look at this because after listening to um, uh, to River City ninety three, our friend Elliot's podcast, as well as the Total Soccer Show, Richmond Kickers Weekly, I was trying to figure out how the Richmond Kickers defenders all got in these crazy places on the pitch because Akway, who's typically a center back, mm-hmm. ends up on the the left touch line, and I was trying to figure out how that was. It seems to me that that they they. I don't know if this is something that Coach Bulo had them do or not, but it seems to me that they are told basically to get into these certain uh, positions just after the ball gets cleared, and and you know you basically everyone switched positions for that that corner kick. So Akwe gets the ball out on the left side after the ball's recycled to him. Very nice cross. Um, you know, quite frankly, it wasn't the kind of cross that hey, I th- I think it was a little bit. Like I, I think he was just trying to get it back into the mixer. He knew he had two or three guys that were going to be there. The kickers had three guys in the box, but uh, Dennis Chin was able to run onto it and and volleyed it quite nicely. He was a sta- uh, so, so Chin made this nice run where he started about the D, cut inside in front of Mendoza, and that left him wide open. So when that ball came in, he was able to hit it with his left foot and volley it home. And he made great runs all game. I think he was the player of the match for me. He had a goal, two even blocked the shot but those runs and him flicking this like him winning those aerials flicking the ball forward uh he only had two uncompleted passes of all of his passes so i think he did a lot of things right and i think that's the kind of offensive production that richmond needs from an individual right if if joe's not going to be the one to do it then they have to do it so i think chin did a great job of coming back and setting things up as well as being the one to be up top to finish it. So, so I, I have a, a question playing devil's advocate here a little bit. I mean, it's great that Richmond, you know, this was their first gold and their first win in, in yeah, over a month. It's Orlando. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. So, it, I mean, it is against the most poorest defense in the league as well. Right. Um, so, I mean, that is something to consider. But here's something else that, that I, want, I want to notice. Besides Akira Fitzgerald, I'm pretty sure there was only one player who played in all four of the wins that didn't play in uh, a number of the the losses recently, and that is Scotty Thompson, the left back. Sounds weird to say how important a left back is, except for two things. I think one is he's a senior leader on the team. I think that's pretty clear. I think his uh, the way that that both he and uh, as well as Brandon Troyer, um, their leadership on the field, I think is very important for this team, just the way that they organize things. And in this game, he had a great game. I mean, he quietly had a very, very good game, both defensively, but he also had the, their best chance before the goal was basically created because Scotty Thompson took on a player one-on-one, winds up finding Bolduc on the inside. It just has this little left uh, outside of his left foot pass to Bolduc. Bolduc really should have finished it. But then after the, the ball gets saved it winds up back at the six and it's chin and thompson are right there ready to ready to shoot chin ends up getting there like half a second before thompson chin shoots it and it winds up getting saved again Uh, had thompson taken it he might have been able to hit it with his left foot far post because he is is a lefty Mm -hmm. but you know quietly you know could one player 
like like a Scotty Thompson make that much of a difference to a team? I mean, given that he's he's I think the only player who's played in all four of their goals. They, they the four games that he didn't play in, they only got one point. They had one draw out of those four games. Yeah, I I think it can, um, and I that that's cute. But let's look at their form. They lost o two to Chattanooga, one o to Tormenta. 1-0 to Chattanooga, 0-2 to North Texas, and they scored one goal on Orlando. So while defensively that's great, I think that that left wing is the real spot that they need in that striker position. Uh, so it does make a difference, but how much of a difference to when you're not scoring goals? So are you going to just draw 0-0 games for the rest of the season? They, I, I So I do think players make a difference, right? I, in, especially in specific areas to where – if you don't have the proper debt, then you're exposed. Um, but I, I think they still got some pieces up, uh, offensively that they really need to work out. And I think they need to probably go get Celso from Lansing. Just go ahead and pay whatever they want. And because what at the way N4 is playing, I don't know if Celso is going to get on. Yeah, yeah. he's going to get on because between Toomey's been great, N4 has been playing out of his mind. Rafa has been playing great when he's on the field. It's 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 a tough position. You're not going to take Nick Moon on you know the back. You're going to keep him up so that Reese can be back there. So yeah, I don't know. So after the goal in particular, the game got pretty chippy. Uh, there were a lot of fouls. Um, I I, uh, I I didn't look at the fouls by minute, but it definitely felt like there were way more fouls uh, later. And certainly certainly there were more harder tackles. And OCB was getting very frustrated. Uh, so the ball goes out for a corner kick. Akira Fitzgerald picks up the ball, starts walking it very slowly back in, clearly trying to waste a little bit of time. And um, uh, I think it was William Begrew. He comes in, takes the ball, which Akira Fitzgerald had it loosely in his hand. And had he just taken the ball, probably nothing would have happened. But he takes the ball and puts it, uh, an elbow and a shoulder into Akira Fitzgerald. Um, Akira Fitzgerald then retaliates, right? So not with a fist or anything else, but he does retaliate. And there were words said. We don't know what words were said. Um, and uh, and then at the end of the day, um, both of them are given uh, are given red cards along with Randy Mendoza. Now I didn't actually see what Randy Mendoza said because. I thought Herrera was going to get a red card because Herrera came running from the other side of the pitch. Remember, he's the goalie. Right. Comes running 80 yards, pushes like four players into the uh, advertising boards behind the goal where two of them fell, one of his own teammates <laughs> oh, yeah. included. Right? It's like, it's like this here. So Herrera doesn't even get a card, right? Which <laughs> he probably deserves at least a yellow for that. <laughs> Unsporting behavior, if nothing else. Um and so, so three red cards, all for violent conduct to Mendoza. Did you see what Mendoza did? Because I—that's the one that kind of baffles me. No, I didn't yeah, see I, I did it. Okay, and so I don't know if it's a camera angle thing or, like I said, they're just giving red cards based off of verbal confrontations yeah. because it, I didn't see anything. Yeah. Well, there was long consultation with the AR between the AR and the referee, so I'm presuming that that they got it right that this wasn't a case of of mistaken identity. But you know, so that was an interesting one. I, I think uh, you know my, my my opinion, Akira Fitzgerald and William Begrew, you could make the case for violent conduct. I think the fact that the league gave them all only one game suspensions instead of two or three games for violent conduct like you know you punch someone that's going to be a three-game suspension right so is it I, I, what coifa got uh i no. don't know what did, 
He only got he only got a game I as well. He only got a game or two. I don't think he got three. Oh, they must have you given him you have, listen, yeah. you have to you have to say something mean about the referee, and then listen. All right, now we're taking it into three games. <laughs> we're getting a little too out of control. So, well, I think had it been you know had it been more difficult, it, it's hard to imagine that they wouldn't have had uh, additional game suspensions. But yeah. um, you know, is this? Yeah, you know, I, I know a lot of people think that maybe these are yellow card offenses and not reds, but you know, in the eye of the referee, you know, he was he was 15 yards away when all this happened. So. Yeah, you even heard the announcers, I think, say like uh, he's expecting some yellow cards to come out. So, like I said, uh, maybe this is the statement, right? And you want to know what's funny? Same ref that uh, Nate Miller went off of in that Lansing uh, Tucson game uh, that caused the Nate Miller suspension. Same ref in this game. Oh, interesting. I, I didn't realize that. So maybe, you know, like, it's, it's you know, when you watch MLS and Premier League, you know the refs and their tendencies. Like, oh, this guy, he doesn't take any nonsense. Or this guy, he lets them play more. Maybe this is the guy that you should just not say, like, tape your mouth shut and <laughs> just yeah. breathe your nose all game because he's he's not going to take any kind of verbal abuse. It could be. By the way, I looked it up real quick. 11 fouls uh, in the 20 minutes leading up to those red cards. Yeah. So from the 60 minute to the 80th minute, there were 11 fouls. Like, like I said, you know that, that's a fair number of fouls. I mean, there's a lot of games that only have 20 fouls in the entire game, yeah. right? So yeah. 11, 11 in a 20-minute period is, is quite a lot. Anything else on, uh, on this particular match? No. Uh, hopefully this is a good chance for – uh, Richmond to turn it around, you know, trying to just feel like they got that monkey off their back and they can go in with a little more swagger. But unfortunately, we'll talk about who they play this upcoming week. Yep. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, so last night was our first ga- uh, week 18 game. That was Wednesday night. It was OCB scored one versus South Georgia Tormenta, who scored four. Um, so interestingly, OCB's Mendoza and Bagru served red card suspensions, plus their teammate Moses Trabante uh, served the suspension for yellow card ac- accumulation, and also Neil Vignoles served his suspension on that game. So they'll all be available this weekend, um, but well none, rested. none of them <laughs> played on Wednesday night down in uh, down in Orlando. Um, so it's it, so I did not see the entire game. I, I only watched uh watch the highlights but it seemed from the goals that south georgia tormenta might have been basically taking advantage of something that they saw on the left side of orlando because uh south georgia kept on attacking down their right side and in fact uh three of their four goals came from attacking down the right side mm-hmm. uh the, the first goal came in the seventh minute marco micheletto from who else connor antley Connor Antley does a little one-two. He almost loses the ball, but is able to cut it back and and then uh, actually just is a little square ball to Micheletto, who's running into the box, and uh, and he finishes it off right under uh, the OCB keeper, uh, Chade. The 14th minute, Marco Micheletto, also from Connor Antley. Anyone? Yeah, Maybe. I've heard of him. It was Connor Antley. Yeah, so there was a poor clearance by OCB. The ball uh, went in the box. Cantley, uh, Antley winds up driving down the uh, the right side again, gets to the end line, cuts the ball back to the penalty spot where Micheletto's running onto it and just finishes it one time. Um, 23rd minute, Alex Morel, uh, again, down the right-hand side. Coutinho actually had the ball uh, on the right-hand touch line, 
cuts it inside down to the end line about the, where the where the six yard box where the goal box meets the uh, meets the end line and then just kind of squares the ball across the uh, across the face of goal. I don't know how no OCB player got to this ball quite frankly. You have to watch an OCB then cuz <laughs> well there were 3 of them right there, not to yeah. mention uh, not to mention Chade and you know somehow or another Alex Morel just taps it in and it yeah. was it was very odd. Um, but of course, you know, the person that you mentioned earlier um, in the 40th minute, OCB does get one back. Maybe they're, you know, getting themselves ready to get set up to for a comeback in the second half, which we've seen more than once in this league, particularly from teams playing at home. Um, but uh, Tiago Sousa gets a uh, get, gets service from Serginho in a uh, and deftly uh, on a set piece and just deftly redirects the ball into the goal. Um, Tiago Sousa, you know, is do you think that Orlando City's first team is actually going to give him a a look at some point here, Jason? I mean, he it, seems to deserve it. It'd be nice. I think it's tough just because, like, I look at um, Benji Michelle, who was on their bench all year, and then as soon as he got some playing time, went and scored a goal. Um, but we're, it was past the halfway, I think, point of the season, or we're at least close to it. So, um, it, it's going to be tough. I think what will happen is if he continues to do this all year, then he might be able to get that call up on the offseason, the trial out, and then end up on the bench. I do think that he has the talent. Um, and like you said, I think them being good this year, Orlando City's first team, hurts just because, yeah, it's not like, all right, we're going to throw away the season and play the kids or we're going to try some things out. I think with Nani – and the way that the fans have been, you know, acting towards the team, they have to make the playoffs or at least compete for it. So we'll see. But I do expect for him to at least get on in the offseason some kind of a trial. I agree. I, I, I think that it will be hard for him to get, get minutes this year. But it'd be, be nice maybe if he did later on in the season, um, yeah. particularly at, at the end maybe if, um, if OCB either doesn't have anything to play for or if they've locked up a, a spot in the playoffs, maybe he'll get a call up uh, after the League One season ends. Uh, but in the 61st minute, second half, Connor Antley uh, gets a uh, right service. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who? Who's that guy? Uh, so the right-footed service from from the right side uh, from Charlie Dennis uh, on a uh, I, I think it was a corner kick. Uh, Antley uh, is not picked up in the box. He's just there all by himself. He out jumps. Why, why would you? Yeah. Why, why would you? Why the most dangerous player on the field? I mean, he's a right back. So why why do you why cover a right back? There's, there's no point. Um, also, you know, of note in this match is that 16 year old. Tristan De La Roche, I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, got his debut. Yeah. He's an academy signing for South Georgia Tormenta. Um, he uh, th- now because he signed an academy contract, that means that he's still college eligible. So he might play for South Georgia for a little while. He's a high school sophomore. Yeah, Just so you I, know. I can't. I, I can't remember what I was, high school sophomore year, but it wasn't anything as cool as he is. Yeah. Well, my, so my, my son's going to be a freshman, so I keep on asking him, you know, what what, what he's been up to. Yeah. <laughs> so anything, anything else? Uh, any, anything else on this game, Jason? Uh, Charlie Dennis. He continues to quietly be killing it. He was uh, just a physical presence. He was the most bad player in this game. He had four chances created. Had the assist that we were talking about. He had two shots. Um, yeah, he's just a beast. Uh, uh, he won nine of his duels. Had three clearances. Um, that's someone I really 
think that people should look for. Obviously, Antley, Micheletto, Morel are all guys that I can easily see playing in championship level. Um, but I really like what I'm seeing from Charlie Dennis. I think your mic's muted. Sorry about that. I was muted. <laughs> Moving on to preview the rest of week 18. This is this must be the most um, – this might be the busiest week that we've had. This is going to be six matches for week 18. Um, so on Friday, TFC2 and the Richmond Kickers play at what time? Prime time, 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock, <laughs> right. So Akira Fitzgerald would be suspended for this one. Um, this will He'll get a little rest. So presumably Rice, who came in, he actually was a homegrown product and uh, played for Lionsbridge last year, uh, which who played a friendly against Richmond a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Elliot talked about that on the show last it week. Was a, it was a great interview. Uh, I went and listened to River City 93, and that was a great interview he had with them. Yeah, that was, uh, th- that was fun. Uh so later that day, North Texas hosts the Greenville Triumph. Uh, I think that'll be an interesting test for the Triumph if they can, you know, learn some things maybe from the way Tormenta played against North Texas and and nick a goal. Um, you know, a, a draw. You know, any any points that you can get at all on the road in this league are at a premium. So if you and especially if you can get a goal from the league leader, um, get get a point from the league leader at their house, that would be uh, that would be huge for Greenville. Or just get a goal. You know, it's going to go at all. Yeah. yeah. So Saturday, 7 p.m. So you can watch the first half of this game and then switch to one of the other ones. Uh, Chattanooga Red Wolves host the uh, host FC Tucson. Uh, but then at eight o'clock. So after right after halftime of that, uh, that first match, you have Madison hosts OCB under their new interim manager and South Georgia Tormenta hosts Lansing. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to that one, actually, the, uh, the, the South Georgia Tormenta-Lansing match. I think that that could really set up, uh, set up nicely. That's going to be um, fun. And you've got three of the quickest guys in the league well-rested because they didn't play last week. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so and and then on Wednesday, so right around the time that we are, uh, th- these matches will just about be over, if not over, uh, when we start recording next Wednesday, uh, is actually the start of Week 19, which will be TFC two hosting Forward Madison in the afternoon, four, four o'clock, o'clock. prime four time, prime time again up in in Toronto. And then uh, Lansing uh, hosts Chattanooga Red Wolves at seven, which also should th- that you know that match in particular has a lot of playoff implications because Chattanooga right now is uh, I, I believe that's a six point game, a proper six point game in, in a points per game perspective. And so to answer your question last week that you and Elliot were talking about. Yeah. I think that Chattanooga is the hottest team in the league right now. When we're talking right now, current form. Yeah. Chattanooga they're, they're, they're winning or drawing and it's not in the prettiest ways, but they're getting points and that's what matters right now. So Lansing is behind Chattanooga by uh, uh, by I think it's a, around uh, 0.2 points per game. So if this if they were to win this one, if Lansing were to win this one at home, they would be virtually tied in points per game. I mean, there might be something in the hundredths column, but but this, it's an effective tie. This is a huge. Lansing's played more games than any other team. I was just about to say this is a huge yeah. game for Lansing because they played 19, te- 19 games and every other team has played sixteen except for Orlando, who I think has also played nineteen. But yeah, that three game differential is huge. So if you don't win or if you don't get, because they are they playing at home? Lansing's They're playing at home that one. Yeah, they have they have to win that game because if you're not getting points at home. 
against a team that's played three games less than you and is ahead of you on the table, it's not looking good, especially the way Tucson's playing, especially, you know, the way that these other teams are playing. I, I don't know. It's a, it's a huge game. What do they do? So, so Lansing plays, um, plays South Georgia Tormenta on Saturday, and then they turn around on short rest and, and go and, and host the Red Wolves. Yep. So the question is, what do they do? Do they play their full team against South Georgia, or do they kind of give that one up and then you know concentrate on the home match against against Lansing? Well, uh, well against the Red Bulls. Yeah, given given that they had three offensive talents on rest and they're well rested, it's going to be a big deal for them. Um, so I think maybe the first game, it's all about tactically what you're doing, right? And uh, they won't have Nate Miller, which I think is a big blow because against Tormenta, I think you you need to try to out-coach them because Tormenta is just so good in their form. Once they get into that form, it's hard to break. Um, so in their tactical changes are always going to be needed. So yeah, I think it just depends on what they're going to do tactically. If they feel like they want to try to, you know, beat Tormenta by buildup, then maybe, you know, our speed, maybe you bring in, you know, Toomey and cross it in. I don't know. Um, I don't like that matchup for Lansing. I think that uh Tormenta just defensively matches up well against them. And I think that even though uh Lansing is fast defensively, I think sometimes Reese gets caught up too high. You play him at wingback and uh it leaves a lot of space for Micheletto and Morel and them to kind of get him behind them. Does Phelps not have the most clearances in the league? I think he might. Um, I think Connor Tobin does. Uh Connor Phelps Tobin. is a close okay. second. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, that's one of the things about trying to cross things in against yeah. South Georgia. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, and it's, so. it's, yeah, I don't think you can. I think all those guys are like St. Bill, Phelps, Antley, they're all, they're all huge. And, yeah. and one thing I would watch for in that game because of that is set pieces. Because the way that Lansing kind of gets caught ball watching, um, you know, and the way that Fricky's been on and off, uh, I think when Lansing's defense is good, they're one of the best in the league, but, Sometimes they get caught slipping, and if you get one goal scored against you against Tormenta, usually that's all it takes for them. Yeah. So uh, the standings didn't change much this week, uh, although Richmond is no longer at the bottom. Uh, they now have 0.94 points per game, so edging up on that one point per game, which doesn't mean anything except maybe pride. You uh, did it. Great job, guys. Yeah. Uh, but you know, basically, basically from three to seven is still amazingly close. So you have Chattanooga Red Wolves, TFC two, FC Tucson, Lansing Ignite, and Greenville Triumph all remain very close, all within one quarter of a point per game. Um, so that's you know clearly not a um, uh, you know clearly the, everything's up for grabs. There's there's absolutely two playoff spots up for grabs for and any of those teams if they go on a little run here could easily take one particularly if they beat those other teams that's why the lansing chattanooga match i think is is very compelling and, and the one that i'll be watching uh live for sure okay uh fan questions so we have an anonymous fan question uh, i actually know who this is but they asked to be, remain anonymous have you guys seen anything this season that would lead you to believe that a greenville player any Greenville player could score a goal like Jamga's first from Saturday. I know Greenville isn't the counter team, but I just think that I've seen an, I haven't seen enough from anyone on the team who could pull off that run and finish. So just a reminder, this is when the one where Jamga gets the ball on the left-hand side around midfield, takes his space about 25 yards, winds up one V two versus two 
uh, two defenders and hits, takes the ball to the right and then finishes from inside the D very deftly. So is there anyone on Greenville who could do this? I mean, you know, I think, you know, Gomez, you've seen flashes of brilliance, but I don't know if he could finish. You know, Jake Keegan's not that kind of guy. He's not Jamga, right? He's more of a of a target striker. So, um, you know, maybe this is exactly the point that this is the kind of person that Coach Harks needs to bring in, just someone who could do the Jamga kind of thing. Here's the thing. I want y'all to go on YouTube and type in the highlights of when Cameron Saul was playing for Asheville City because that's the kind of goals he was scoring. He was taking the ball from midfield, taking people on and just hitting rockets from 30, 40 yards out and draining them. And so I don't know if it's because of the setup. I don't know if it's because of the tactics, but he hasn't done anything remotely close to that all year. And I think maybe that was, you know, what Harks was hoping, or maybe, I don't know if it's a tactically thing. That's something for Chris, but he, that's, he was doing it. I, I really want y'all to go look at these highlights because he was doing it when he was at Asheville City. And I don't know what has happened this year. So I, I think that they need – I think the answer is no. Like if, if you're just going to make this yes, no, it's, it, the answer is no. And that, uh, that that's the kind of person that, uh, you know, kind of a crea- either a creative player or someone who's kind of fast and dangerous on a wing uh, is, is someone who Coach Harks might be, might be considering. Um, you know, to preview my interview with him that you'll hear next week after some of these games are played is um, – basically he said like they're looking for the right player. Right. So I think he has something in mind. Obviously he doesn't want to give away what that is, but um, you know, but it also, they also have to be a good fit in terms of chemistry as well. So chemistry to him is very important. I want to make sure that the team is, uh, is, is a cohesive unit, but, um, but, but I, I think that's the point, right. Is that they don't have that very creative player kind of in the midfield that, that they need to be able to um, either that or just a clinical finisher. I mean, we've been harping on that basically all season. I, th- I think if they had someone who, if, if, you know, you mentioned this before, Jason, you know, if Jake Keegan finished, you know, what, 20% of his, of his chances, they would probably be in the playoff spot right now. Oh, yeah. They'd, they'd be third right now. And that's, no, like no, probably even second, depending on the teams that he was finishing against. If he was finishing those against those zero zero one zero losses to Tormenta, yeah, they'd be second in the league right now. Yeah, so so it's not really a tactical issue. It is in a way a little bit of but, a personal. But I just feel like when it comes to Cameron Saul, it is because it's just I don't get to see him playing the same style and the same game he was playing at Asheville City, and I don't know what happened. I don't know if he's too far up. I don't know if he needs to be far. I don't far like I don't I don't know. I just don't get it. Fair enough. Jason, anything else you want to talk about today before we close out? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, one quick note. Very, very disappointed not to see N4 on the team of the week. And why I think Xavier Gomez had a great game and was winning more duels than anybody else. Uh, N4 had 27 passes and five of them were chances created, which means 20% of his passes, almost 20% of his passes were a chance at goal. He was fouled six times, the most in the game, which really helped Lansing, including in that second goal with the set piece that that led to, had two interceptions and then drew the PK for the first goal. So, you know, even though Xavier Gomez played well, uh, I would have really liked to see N4 on the team of the week. I think that he's been phenomenal in the games that he's come in. And this game would have been really bad for Lansing had he had not played. All right. Thanks very much, Jason. Jason, where can people connect with you? Uh, home Sweet Soccer. Or if you want to 
see me spin some disco records, you know, uh, ask me where I'm going to be. I'll be uh, in Canada next week and then Europe the week after that. And then uh, Asia the week after that. So come find me and come watch some soccer and listen to some disco tunes with me. They're busy, busy man. I can be found at Ira Jersey on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and check out bgn.fm for all the other great soccer podcasts and written content covering USL League One, USL Championship, USL League Two, NWSL, MLS, and more. Thanks to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice to get your custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items for yourself or your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price of other places at goldengoldpress.com. Also, thanks to Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves to your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Jason, good luck in all your travels. I hope I'll be able to talk to you next week. Yeah, I'll, I'll, be, I'll see if I can uh, make some time. You know, I'll schedule it in between some shows and uh, watch some soccer for you. And when you're in Asia, it might be 9 a.m. in the morning. So it might even yeah. be, uh, it might, might be very early for you. Yeah, that would be perfect. Best way to start the day with some League One fun.